Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Shears Surge. Instead of just giving an exemption to the country's largest emitters, I'm going to give an exemption from the carbon tax to all Canadians by getting rid of it. Has hitting hard on the Liberals' carbon tax helped opposition leader Andrew Scheer surge in the polls? Today we've got a wide-ranging interview with the Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. Does he have a winning plan? We'll find out. Then, oil bailout. When Alberta hurts, so does Canada. Is the government's sudden $1.6 billion cash infusion really what Alberta needs right now? Or is it just a bitumen band-aid? The Natural Resources Minister, Amarjeet Sohi, joins us. And Canadians in danger. We're going to continue uh, to defend them, to stand up for them. Another Canadian arrested in China. Should Canada now forget about free trade with China? The Scrum is here to weigh in on that. This is question period. Let's go get some answers. Well, tensions continue to escalate between Canada and China as another Canadian is detained in this escalating diplomatic war. But for the man who wants to be the prime minister next year, that's not the only issue he has to show Canadians that he can handle. There are controversies about pipelines, carbon price and taxes, deficit, borders, how would the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada deal with all these key issues? Let's find out. Joining me now, the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Scheer. Good to see you, sir. Always a pleasure to be on. All right, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas you to you. Too. Uh, let's start with China because that's been obviously the big news. Uh, there's now three Canadians detained. Do you believe the Chinese have now openly detained Canadians as a form of retaliation against the fact that we had to arrest a Chinese, the CFO of Huawei, at the behest of the United States? Well, I think it's a reasonable conclusion to come to. When you look at the newspaper that is so closely linked to the government of China saying that there will be retaliations, that the uh, government of China will react in a similar fashion, and then just a matter of days after uh, decisions were made in Canada, we see Canadians being detained in China. I, I believe it's a safe assumption to operate under uh, you know, <laughs> until we know otherwise. Uh, I'm very alarmed at the situation. Everything seemed to happen very, very quickly. With You've, you've got the President of the United States tweeting uh, about uh, having some kind of influence on the process, right. which of course causes a lot of people uh, a great deal. Did that of concern. cause you concern? Well, I think anytime you have, uh, a, you know, one of the things we pride ourselves here in Canada uh, is that we have independent police agencies. We would uh, we, we, we would never accept a prime you know, a prime minister saying, "Well, maybe I'll, I'll intervene and and work on it, use a trade issue as a link to a, a, an independent investigation to criminal activity." So, uh, you know, it raises raises a lot of concerns, and then we saw the uh, reaction uh, in. In China with Canadians being detained. So I think we are in a very difficult situation. And so what do we do? If you were Prime Minister, do you pick up the phone and do you call President Xi? And if so, what do you say to him? Well, I, I, do, th I, I do think that it, it would be appropriate for Justin Trudeau to do just that. There are many cases throughout history where with a little bit of dialogue early on, bigger events might have been avoided. Uh, we don't know where this is going. Uh, we don't want it to escalate. I actually think that by picking up the phone and having that kind of conversation, uh, we might be able to diffuse the situation. The Prime Minister could explain that we have independent processes here, that this is not uh, something that our government but interferes But they know that. I know, but at least having the, the assurance that we are taking our aspect of this very seriously and encouraging the Chinese government to respect the, the international rule of law and the rights of Canadian citizens who happen to be in China. Those citizens who are detained are, are grist in the mill here, as you and I both know, because uh, 
the bigger consequences are this. The Five Eyes partners, the United States, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, they want Canada to block Huawei, the giant telecom company from China, whose CFO is arrested, from being part of the next generation of wireless, the so-called 5G, for security reasons. Would you block Huawei from joining that? Yes, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you, you know, you pointed out our allies have come to the same conclusion. We know that the government of, chi of China has, has admitted to being involved in, in cyber infiltrations of, uh, around the world and, and in governments. There are a lot of real concerns here. And this is why conservatives were very concerned about this liberal government waiving national security reviews when it comes to the takeover of Canadian companies that have sensitive uh, technology. What, we, we, need a, we, we can't have this naive approach with, uh, with the regime in, uh, in China. Okay, let's talk about the naive approach. What about pursuing a free trade deal with China? If they don't follow the rule of law, if they are using Huawei, in your view, as a, an arm of the state for espionage, potential espionage, would you pursue a free trade deal with China? I wouldn't. And uh, I think the events of the last uh, little bit have, uh, have demonstrated why we need to have a prudent approach to, uh, to, 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 to China. Uh, it's normal for, for countries to, to welcome Chinese investment, the Canadian economy benefits from Chinese investments. Where we can agree on, on aspects, we should absolutely uh, partner or, or accept their investments. But we don't have the same types of systems. We don't have the transparent, we don't see the transparency and accountability in the Chinese economy. We know there's a lot of state-owned enterprises. Uh, we're a long way from talking about a free trade deal. Let me talk about Saudi Arabia. Um, do you believe that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, MBS Mohammed bin Salman, was um, responsible for the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. I, I'm not privy to any uh, classified information, but it certainly does seem uh, that the, the, the that the regime in Saudi Arabia had responsibility. This did not happen uh, by accident. It wasn't a fluke. It seems uh, very much to have been uh, directed and orchestrated. Uh, so uh, it, obviously someone very close to, to, to the decision makers. Should he have been on the sanctions? 17 Saudis are on the targeted sanctions list. Should we have put a sanction on MBS? You know, uh, I, 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 my understanding is that Canadian officials make these determinations based on the information that they have. Uh, so uh, I certainly believe that we need to impose sanctions on people that we can prove or that we have reason to, to believe had a hand in this, had direct responsibility. And as more information comes, I expect that that list might be expanded. Mr. Scheer, you say that we shouldn't cancel the light armored vehicle contract. It's a $15 billion contract. There's a lot of jobs in London, Ontario that depend on this, the General Dynamics uh, contract there. Justin Trudeau told me he's looking to cancel that. There's a, a, a terrible war going on in Yemen. Why wouldn't you cancel the light armored vehicle contract? Well, what I said was it, it, I have not been able to understand how uh, cancelling the sale of something to Saudi Arabia uh, sends a big message when we could instead be looking at developing well, ways to it. stop buying things from Saudi Arabia. Okay. When we stop sending our consumer dollars to Saudi Arabia, that would actually have uh, a more meaningful impact. Okay, but hold on. I mean, it, you're saying it's not meaningful to stop selling arms to a country that may be murdering saying, journalists and maybe conducting no, no, a war in Yemen? No, what I'm saying Why is, is it would, I'm saying it would be more meaningful. If we want to send a message, if we want Saudi Arabia to feel repercussions and consequences for their actions, far more effective way to send that message would be to take steps to not need to buy things from Saudi Arabia. You could do one immediately. Importing. Okay, so let's talk about that. But, you're, but don't you think it would be an immediate 
Look at how they reacted to a tweet about the arrest of a blogger. Do you don't think it would have an immediate impact to follow the likes of Germany and say, we're not selling you guys weapons anymore? Uh, you I, don't find that meaningful? I, I, I would find it more meaningful, is what I'm saying, if we could develop our own domestic infrastructure so we can get off of uh, Saudi oil. We import 80,000 barrels a day from Saudi Arabia. That would be where I would be uh, focusing my... Okay, so I asked the Prime Minister about that, but just let me just press back one more time. You could do both. You could cancel the light armored vehicles, but you don't want to do that. But then you could, okay, I agree. We're, we're importing 80,000 barrels a day from Saudi Arabia. A lot of Canadians are shaking their heads. We've got Alberta suffering and we're importing. The question is, there's also jobs in New Brunswick that depend on the, that oil. Where are you going to get the oil from? What happens to those jobs at the refineries in New Brunswick? Well, you know, I've met with officials at, uh, at Irving Oil and, and at the refinery, and th there are investments that they were willing to make to be able to accommodate Western Canadian oil. Uh, it takes a different configuration in a refinery when you have different grades of, of oil, uh, and the investments were prepared to be made at that refinery. So supplying it with Western Canadian oil would have would How have do been you able get it there? Well, we need a pipeline. We need a government that actually allows pipelines to be built in this country. Yeah, but a, you know a pipeline would take years, but let's talk about that. Uh, the Energy East Pipeline. Justin Trudeau was on this program last week. He said there's no appetite and there's no proponent for an Energy East Pipeline. If you were Prime Minister, would you revitalize the Energy East Pipeline? As Prime Minister, I've already laid out a comprehensive package to bring back regulatory certainty that the Liberals have eroded, to repeal C C-69, to get First Nations that's consultations... The assessment, to, that's the assessment bill. That's right, uh, which everyone is calling the No More Pipelines bill because it just it, it's the end of big natural resource development projects. But if Quebec country. says no, would you use federal authority... Because you sure heard Mr. Legault, the Premier of Quebec, there's no appetite for a pipeline, and he called it dirty energy. Would you exercise federal control and say, sorry, it's federal jurisdiction, Quebec. I'm going to run a pipeline through Quebec from west to east. Are you prepared to say that? So when he talks about dirty oil, I've, I've said the real dirty oil comes from Saudi Arabia. When you talk about you know, gender impact analysis, we need to look at what happens in that regime. And we need, as a country, we should be self-sufficient. We need to be, we must be the only country on the planet that can't get our, our energy that we've been blessed with in Western Canada to markets in Eastern Canada. I get it, but, and the, but I believe, politics. I believe, yes, well, there's, that's why we have, uh, you know, the, the, that's why we have different levels of government. That's why we have things like the, the, the federal approvals process. And I am convinced that I can work with uh, the Premier of Quebec and address concerns that may be had. I think okay, we can but look I just at... Want to just, I, I, I just want to get the answer, though. If you were the Prime Minister... Because your party has criticized Justin Trudeau for not using federal authority to make sure that Trans Mountain pipeline gets built. Would you use federal authority to overcome the uh, people who are the opponents of, a, of an Energy East pipeline and you would have a pipeline that runs from Alberta through Quebec to New Brunswick? I just want to make sure yeah, that the, I, you will put a pipeline pipelines, through Quebec. There are pipelines all through Quebec. There but, are pipelines I'm all through Quebec. I'm talking about Energy East yeah. pipeline. You will make that go through Quebec. We, we, we will work with the provinces to make sure that everybody can win from these types of projects. These are these are the things that, that, that need to uh, need to be put before Quebecers and Canadians. It's not a question of of uh, you know pipelines or no pipelines. There are pipelines. They exist right. today, underneath, uh, it, all throughout But it's going to be a political question. They're going to ask you, will you put Energy East through? Will you and, use your and authority? Done, and you're going to say yes or no. Is done, it yes or done, no? Done the right way. I, I, you can do these things right. in a way where you don't have those types of conflicts, where you don't have uh, one premier 
you know, trying to stand in the way of it. There are benefits that Quebecers can realize by not having to purchase Saudi oil. There are refinery jobs in Montreal, in Levy. Uh, there are, uh, there's opportunities for economic development in Quebec. Everybody wins in Canada. And that's the other thing that has to be made. You know, we, we have to get everyone in Canada understanding the fact that when we are accepting 17 and $20 a barrel for uh, Canadian energy, when it's going for 75 and 80 in the U.S. and other markets, the whole country loses. That's fewer dollars available for health care, for education, for infrastructure, for, for you know, it, it's bad for the entire economy. That's part of what conservatives will be doing is talking about the benefits to everybody all over Canada. i got to take a short break. Uh, Mr. Shear, hang on. Lots more to come with the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. We'll talk deficits, we'll talk carbon prices, and we will talk the upcoming election. Lots more with Andrew Shear coming right up here on Question Periods. Stay with us. Welcome back to CTV's Question Period and our special leader interviews. We are here with the leader of the official opposition, Andrew Scheer. Great to see you, Mr. Scheer. Let's talk about the environment. It's also been a big issue. You were on this program, you remember very well, April 29th, and you told me, I've got a plan, and my plan will not have a price on carbon, and my plan will actually meet the Paris targets that you voted for, that you, Stephen Harper's targets, and you said, I'll do it with no price on carbon. Do you stand by that? Will you have a plan that will meet the Paris Climate Accord targets like you told us back in April? Our plan that we are uh, excited to unveil for Canadians will not have a, a tax on carbon. I gotta, I gotta pick up, a price is something that the market sets that you have a choice to pay. Uh, when the government imposes something and you don't have a choice to pay it, that's a tax. What we're talking about is a carbon tax and uh, it's not even a, a price on uh, carbon because the largest emitters get a free pass. But you got, plan, you're still opposed to cap and trade, which is not a tax, so you're opposed to pricing and taxing, it sounds like. Well, I'm opposed to when the government increases the cost for commuters, for homeowners, people have to heat their homes. But fair and you're, oppo you're, opposed to, you're opposed to cap and trade and you're opposed to a carbon tax. You're opposed to both. I, well, I, and, and I, would, I would point out, it's, you know, people talk about the conservative plan and, and, and where is the conservative plan. Where is the liberal plan? This is not an environmental plan. When you have a government that says we're going to give a big pass, 90% exemption, to the country's largest emitters, that's not an environmental plan. Uh, listen, they are going to be accountable if they can't hit their targets. And I asked Mr. Trudeau about that. But you have now said your plan without any of that carbon pricing mechanism will hit the targets. I just want to make plan sure... Will, will, will have a, our plan will be comprehensive and it will speak absolutely to... Will it hit the targets? I don't want you to dodge reducing this. Reducing Canada's emissions in a meaningful way. When people look at this and they say the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Council of Canada, the CEO of Shell Oil, the CEO of Suncor, all say we support a carbon price and often a carbon tax and they in the move towards a low cost economy. They just want something stable. These are the business leaders across Canada. Then you say, no, we don't support that. Are you now standing against the business leaders of Canada? We're standing up for the people. We're standing up for the people of Canada who don't want to pay higher costs. We're standing up for commuters in suburbs who have to drive to get to work and drop their kids you off. You don't buy so that, that rebate check in, that the Liberals uh, are saying that they're going to act... Not a chance. It's not going to cover the, the cost of the carbon tax. We, yeah. the, the, it, it does not even take into account indirect increases like groceries, things that have to be transported in. Never mind the fact that if somebody has to come in from a, a suburb or a rural part of Canada that they're going to be paying much 
much more in fuel costs than mm -hmm. they're going to be getting back in a rebate check. First of all, I should say some of the groups that you mentioned have said that they may support some type of a mechanism if it was combined with an elimination of all the regulations that drive up many costs. And I'm not surprised that companies and CEOs of companies that have obtained a massive exemption from the carbon tax are now in favor of it. Uh, a couple of quick issues. The deficit. Justin Trudeau broke his promise to balance the books by this year. There's now 18, almost $19 billion in deficit. You said you would balance the books. Balancing the books, tricky. What would you cut? So uh, this is the key. If we get this done right, if, if we can limit the damage that Justin Trudeau is doing to our public finances to just one term, we won't have to. There is a window of opportunity where we can get fiscal responsibility back in order without without having to cut but that window is is short because if this is allowed to continue if Justin Trudeau gets another term that spending will keep on increasing and the tax hikes will come along with it that's why the 2019 is so election is so critical because we can avoid going down the road that other provinces have gone down where you have 10 15 but years you gotta of cut sustained. something you can't cut taxes it, and just by no but you know just by limiting the rate of growth of spending we have to put this in context it's not that there was some kind of uh, global shock to the economy that led to these deficits this was a choice by Justin Trudeau to drastically increase spending. They blew through a $20 billion windfall, and some of the department spending has gone up by 5 to 8% every year. Just by limiting the growth of spending, I'm not talking about cutting, I'm just limiting the growth of spending to closer to inflation and population, you can eliminate a great deal of the deficit. Uh, the Global Compact on Migration, the UN. The Liberals signed on to this. It's non-binding, it's non-legal. You've been out there hammering away saying this is going to give up Canada's sovereignty on our border. The asylum issues and the people crossing our border, uh, the irregular slash illegal crossers are a big issue for you. But on this particular thing, you've hammered the Liberals for saying it's going to give up sovereignty. But Mr. Shear, I've read this report. It specifically says it doesn't. It's not legally binding. Are you misrepresenting something? in order to score political points. Not at all. When you look at this compact, I, the, the, the impact on Canadian sovereignty was one aspect of, of my criticism for it. And it is, I, I, will, I will be very uh, clear on this, there are international agreements that we have signed on to that have impacts on our court decisions where judges will say, because Canada has signed on to this, we now interpret this rule but that's or this regulation but, differently. That, but that's different than giving up sovereignty. No, we well, sign treaties no, all but, the time. But it has an effect. If, if, if we sign on to something at the United Nations and then two or three years later a judge says, well now because of that my ruling has to be this way, that's clearly having an effect on our own systems, on our own, on our own handling of various files. This is done against the backdrop with a government that can't get a handle on the illegal border crossing situation. Well, to be fair, they're going. I mean, it's, it's costing more money than they ever thought. I grant you that. Although the numbers recently have fallen, to be fair, fluctuate. Well, they, they fluctuate, but on the whole, we've got almost forty thousand people have crossed into Canada illegally. And the, the thing that frustrates me, it's it's not that we're debating the Liberal government's solution to this, it's that they haven't done anything. So when we talk about that, when we talk about a compact that talks about sensitizing the media and rewarding certain types of coverage and and and, uh, and, and playing down and, and maybe even punishing other types of coverage, I think, is that the role of government? Are we signing on to something where we say I think the government I, I has read a responsibility it, well, to, I, I, to affect media coverage? I, first of all, they don't, but, but I, I but don't... But it's in the compact. I know, but, it's, but the compact's not non-binding. It's not legal. But why is it in there? Well... 
I think because in Europe the migration issue has been so polarizing and far-right groups have used it as dog whistle politics. You well, know it's, that. It's Let's very be fair. polarizing. And, it, and when you have a prime minister like Justin Trudeau right. who wipes away everyone's concerns with the okay. compact, with labels and personal attacks and insults, that's what leads to the polarization. Uh, it is a legitimate position to have to be okay. concerned about this compact. It's a legitimate okay. position to have to say that we should have control over our borders. And when Justin Trudeau wipes away all that with divisive and hateful language, he does a disservice to our political discord and he foments that very same polarization that he claims to be concerned about. Here's our rapid fire section real quick. Uh, describe Justin Trudeau in one word. <laughs> um, uh, out of touch. Describe, uh, that's not one word, but disconnected. Describe Premier Doug Ford in one word. Um, he is dedicated. Donald Trump, one word for him. Uh, mercurial. Biggest regret in the last year? Biggest regret. That's, uh, that's a tough one. Just not being able to get to, to everywhere that, that I'd like to in this country. It's, it's very difficult to get to every event and every uh, corner that I've been invited to. Ballot box question for 2018, 2019 rather. Ballot box question will be about uh, whether or not the next four years are going to be better than the previous. Uh, deficits are going to loom large and the fear of rising taxes with, uh, with this Liberal government. Andrew Scheer, I've got to leave it there. I wish you and your family all the best. Merry Christmas and a happy holiday and happy new year. Thank you very much, Evan. All the best. Yeah, that is Andrew Scheer, the leader of the Conservative Party. Coming up next, well, they gave Alberta $1.6 billion and Alberta went meh. There's still no pipeline. The Natural Resource Minister, Amarjeet Sohi, joins us to explain why the Liberals did it. Stay right here with Question Period. We don't need help finding more markets. We need help moving our product. And I don't know that we could have been much more clear about that. The government announced $1.6 billion to help the energy sector in Alberta. That's been struggling with record low oil prices. You know, Canadian oil got down to less than $12 a barrel. But the Alberta Premier, Rachel Notley, was clear. They want a pipeline, not a payment. So why did the government come up with all that cash? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Natural Resource Minister, Amarjeet Sohi. Uh, good to see you, Minister. The Premier of Alberta dismissed this as the wrong kind of help. They wanted money for rail cars to carry their oil to market. Why didn't you just use the money to buy rail cars like they asked? Oh, well, uh, Evan, thank you so much for having me. We are continuing to uh, engage with the province to evaluate uh, the rail proposal. But one thing that I absolutely agree with the Premier is that the long-term solution to the challenges that we are facing here in Alberta is to build a pipeline capacity to... Uh, uh, to the U.S., but more importantly, to the non-U.S. Non markets. What we have announced uh, uh, this week, $1.6 billion of uh, support for oil and gas, is the interim approach that will allow businesses to get through these very difficult times by making payments to their suppliers or making payments on their uh, Right. And dealing with cash flow issues or dealing with banks that they might have difficulty doing. So this is interim approach as we work, uh, work together to building the pipeline capacity that is so much necessary for the long-term sustainability of the oil and gas sector. Right. It's $1.6 billion. You've already spent $4.5 yep. billion on a, on a pipeline expansion that we don't know when this is going to happen. A lot of Canadians are looking at this and say, why didn't you consult with the government of Alberta first? They wanted something else. They didn't want this money. Uh, I spoke to the mayor of Calgary, Nad Nenshi Minister. 
where the employment is double the national average. He said he was not even talked to about this. He heard about it when the media heard about it. And he said, if they'd asked me, I would have told them to spend the money in a different way. The exact same thing Rachel Notley said. Why didn't you listen to the actual politicians and the leaders in Alberta? Well, we uh, had extensive consultation with industry. Uh, similar programs were introduced in 2016, Evan. Uh, $1.5 billion was made available for the industry to get through difficult times in 2016. Uh, almost two-thirds of that was accessed by the industry. So this support has demonstrated a result in the past, and we are confident it will help in, in the right. meantime okay. until we get the pipeline capacity built. Well, and that, they want that. Actually, Rachel Notley dismissed it as a, quote, cut-and-paste solution that wasn't specific. But let me just ask you this about this bailout. Are these things good ideas? I mean, look at General Motors. The government bailed out General Motors. Then General Motors took the money. The government then, you know, let them not pay a billion dollars, and then they closed the plant. What track record? Why is this going to help the fundamental problems of Alberta? Well, this is not a bailout, and this is not absolutely a handout. These are commercial loans that become handy and come uh, and necessary, and uh, and are are needed at a time when uh, businesses are struggling and they can't go to the bank to get a loan. So this is kind of a stopgap in the uh, in a way that allows to get them through these difficult times. They have been successful in the past, and they will be successful in the future. But uh, the businesses pay these right. uh, loans back, and so this well, is not to, a subsidy. To be fair, or yeah. minister, any, minister, to be fair, as you rightly know. General Motors was a loan as well. It was a loan they were supposed to pay back. It was a loan that your government forgave, and it's a loan the taxpayers will never see the money. This is also a loan. I'm just trying to figure out what the difference is. But the e, uh, the Export Development Canada and the Bank, uh, sorry, uh, Business Development of Canada has a long history of working with businesses in these difficult times, and their track record record is is very very uh, has been very successful in. Uh, providing the necessary support at the same time re recouping uh, the, 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 the loans that they make to the industry. Can you just give me two solid answers? I know people are dying for some answers here. When is the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion going to be built? And when will your government actually buy some rail cars in the meantime for Alberta? What, just give me two answers to that. I'd be delighted. So uh, I have instructed the National Energy Board to undertake the review of the existing pipeline capacity. That report will come to me uh, in February. At that time, as we continue to evaluate uh, the Alberta's uh, proposal of oil by rail, we'll be in a better position to give them an answer. On the TMX, uh, uh, the NEB review of the marine shipping on the impact of marine shipping on the marine environment will be concluded by the end of February. We are actually in the communities consulting now as we speak uh, uh, on in a meaningful way, two-way dialogue to deal with the concerns mm -hmm. that communities have identified and we are moving forward on the TMX in the right way, responding to the federal court's decision. It's the most expedite, uh, this is the most efficient and focused approach uh, is to move right. forward on this, uh, on this project by responding to the issues that court has identified. All right, I got to leave it there. Minister Sohi, wishing you and your family all the very best over the holidays. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you so much, and uh, same to you as well. All right, coming up, uh, the Scrum is here to weigh in on what Andrew Scheer said about pipelines, what Minister Sohi has done with a $1.6 billion bailout, and our special guest, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, will join us. Stay right here. 
with question period. You're never going to get unanimity on any project. I'm Prime Minister not because I was unanimously elected by all Canadians, but because we have a system that came forward with a consensus uh, you know, through our processes that I would serve as Prime Minister so for this mandate. So consent's not a veto. Consent's... No. Cons okay. So that is the message to Canada's Indigenous population. You have no veto over pipelines. Now, this is a whole issue that could be one of the big debates in the coming election year. To talk about that, the mm -hmm. scrum is here. Tonema Charles, reporter for the Toronto Star, is here. Joyce Napier, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief, is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's Chief Political Commentator, is here. And our special guest today, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Perry Bellegarde, is here. Uh, good morning to all of you, and let's start with the National Chief. Do you agree with the Prime Minister's assessment that consent which was part of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, which mm -hmm. the government signed, does not mean veto when it comes to pipelines. Well, we've always said, Evan, that uh, the most important thing, it's up to the rights and title holders. As Indigenous peoples, we have a very important right, the right to self-determination. And that's the right to say yes or the right to say no. So the people on the land, on the ground, will have that determination. They'll have that, that decision themselves. And so the word veto doesn't show up in the UN Declaration. Nor does it show up in the, the Chilcotin case, but it's all about working together and bringing everybody together sooner than later. And if that would have happened in this instance, there, would been, there, would, there wouldn't be any need to even talk about veto, because we'd be at the table right. discussing to find the balance right. between the environment and the economy. First Nations we were left people, out. Uh, Perry, I'm just observing that First Nations people uh, really don't need a legal veto, because they already have a de facto veto. By that I mean that they use court delays endlessly, bouncing from one court to another court, mm -hmm. and they delay these judgments uh, for so long that circumstances change and nothing ever happens. Uh, Tonda, this is, the Prime Minister always said that this file is his most important file. When he says that, you know, you know consent doesn't mean a veto or the pipeline, does this eventually come back to hurt him if he pushes through a pipeline like the Trans Mountain expansion? Well, it could, if he pushes through a pipeline, it will hurt him where environmentalists who oppose pipelines, it will hurt him in that sense. But if you, you know, go back to the reconciliation project, writ large, him saying that's the most important relationship. Perry's right. I mean, there is actually right now mm. sort of an effort for First Nations, Indigenous people to speak to a government open to speaking to them. And perhaps, you know, the fact, just saying, uh, you know, that doesn't mean get, they get a veto. It doesn't mean they're not engaging and they don't have something to say there. And I think the politics of that uh, apply across the board. I mean, sure, the NDP said they, they must have a veto. Uh, Romeo Saganesh, a prominent NDP MP, says they must have a veto. But I don't think you'll hear the Conservatives argue, arguing or the Liberals in any campaign anytime soon that this is about throwing pipeline projects out the window. You know, just, I, I find that this is just a bunch of words. Veto, consent, that's not the point. The point is there's got to be a fair and dignified consultation and a negotiation, mm -hmm. right? That's what matters. In other words, if there is money to be made, then perhaps there could be a sharing of the pie. There could be if just a, a way of having a dialogue that be, is beyond whether they have a veto, whether it's consent. They don't have a veto. But let me move on to Energy East. That's Trans Mountain. But I had Andrew Shear on the program earlier, Joyce, and he and I asked him about Energy East, which is something that Justin Trudeau said there's no proponent and there's no appetite for it. 
the Premier of Quebec said the same thing, but Andrew Scheer said if he was Prime Minister, he would push forward and he would try to get Energy East back up. What are the politics of that for a Conservative trying to win votes in Quebec, trying to push a pipeline through there? And who could win votes in mm. Quebec? If you look at the polls and you mm. look at the math and you look on the ground in Quebec, he is likely going to win more seats. But, you know, it, it, it is incredibly hypocritical, this whole debate, when you move it east. Because if you look at the polls again, people are in favor. When you ask Quebecers, how do you think this oil should be moved, a majority of people say pipelines. So pipelines over rail because oh, they yes, have absolutely. Absolutely. because they experience pipelines are the safest way, guys. Pipelines so are the safest way to exactly. get things to market. So if pipelines are the safest way, why don't we start with that premise? Pipelines are the safest way. So why are we still discussing well, here again and again whether we should build well, pipelines well, and Quebecers are for it? So what the the Premier of Quebec is saying is beyond my comprehension. All right, uh, Perry Balgard, what about that? Is there, would there be protests? Uh, would there be protests for a pipeline east? Yeah, there, there's a lot of like First Nations people. Like, it, this issue of pipelines is very divisive. It's divided premiers, you know, it's divided Canadians, it's divided provinces, it's, it's even divided chiefs. So we have chiefs on both sides. Mm -hmm. My objective will be to bring people together to find the balance between the environment and the economy. Once we're involved as the rights and title holders, like we can find that balance. We've got chiefs that produce oil and gas that want to get their, their product to, to international markets. We're too dependent on the USA. But then you also have some chiefs that say we're too dependent on fossil fuels. So on the bigger issue is we need a clearer plan to transition to clean energy. And that's what we need to do globally, oh, okay. because we're not even talking about climate change and greenhouse gas emissions, because that's all tied into this discussion as well. So my point will always be, get First Nations people involved. We'll find the balance between the economy and the environment sooner than later. Uh, Tonda, that is an interesting segue. Andrew Scheer on the program back in April, and he said, I will hit the Paris carbon uh, emissions targets without any price on carbon cap and trade. I asked him again today, where's the plan? Will you hit it? All he would say, again, Again and again is I will have meaningful reductions. Will you hit the Paris targets? I will have meaningful reductions. Is he flipping on that, that means promise? No, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an mm -hmm. acrobatic flip of great proportion. What part of yes didn't we understand the last time? Right. Um, no, I think he's <laughs> backing off because he realizes that uh, if he is not going to price carbon, not going to tackle large emitters through pricing carbon, uh, he's, how is he going to meet any kind of reduction targets, right? So uh, he's not going to take he's not going to take cars off the road. I just don't see where. Look, they're they're promising a plan in the new year. Let's see. Yeah, they're promising a plan, but Craig, it's now a plan that, in my view, after asking Andrew Scheer, he doesn't seem to care about meeting the Paris targets. Now, to be fair, the federal government may no, not even meet those exactly. That's where I was coming right, back yeah, to you. Cool. The federal government is far, far from meeting its targets uh, in Paris. And almost everybody in the world isn't meeting the Paris targets. And we're talking perhaps as high as $200 a ton in order to start meeting those targets. And that's mm -hmm. far beyond the appetite Canadians certainly have. But it doesn't mean we don't for, try. It doesn't mean politicians don't have a responsibility. He's not saying that to you, that he's Guys, not trying. You, we, what you, he's you've saying got is, to put a price. Yes, perhaps yeah. you've got to put a price, no, but I'll, he's not saying that. 
He is Joyce. actually probably the one that's telling the truth because the liberals are telling us, yes, 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 we will meet the targets when all the evidence is showing they will not. No, no. So what, what's the difference between people Everybody's who are saying Everybody's got to have yes a plan. And, and you've got, a, you've no. got to okay. put a price on carbon. Everybody's got to have a plan. No, you, it, there's got to be a plan in place. You know, like we've got 12 years and if past the point of no return, the, like we're not going to be able to grow food. You're not going to be able to grow grain. Like the climate is changing. It's climate destruction. So we've got to get our heads around that. We're not leaving anything to our children and grandchildren if we don't see the, the reality of climate destruction. And so we need to start really showing that there is a plan in place for reducing everybody, greenhouse gas emissions. Everybody and, and has a plan. Putting a price on polluters. Everybody's got a plan. The, the problem is none of these plans are realistic. All right, I got to leave it there. Uh, National Chief yeah. Belgard, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on the program. Wishing you and yours a great uh, Merry Christmas and a happy holiday. Uh, Joyce, Tonda, and Craig, lots more to come. Thanks so much for that. Coming up, the China crisis. Is Canada getting crushed in the escalating trade war between China and the U.S.? The scrum is back. We've got a special guest, Nick Nanos, the pollster, and CTV's power play host, Don Martin will grace us with his presence. What a special treat. Stay with us. I think Canadians understand that even though political posturing might be satisfactory in the short term to make yourself you know, seeing, feel like you're stomping on the table and, and doing something significant, it may not directly contribute to the outcome we all want, which is for these Canadians to come home safely. With more Canadians detained in China, does Canada now have to maybe forget about doing a free trade deal with China, as Andrew Scheer told us earlier in the program? And with his criticisms on carbon, deficit, Saudi Arabia, is there now an Andrew Scheer surge in the polls. Let's bring back the scrum. Joining us this time, we are graced with the presence of Don Martin, the host of CTV's Power Play. Tana McCharles is back from the Toronto Star. Craig Oliver, of course, is back and our special guest. Don's also a special guest. <laughs> Polster Nick Nanos. Good to see all of you. Um, let's just start uh, quickly on China and we'll get there. Uh, Nick, I'll start with you. Um, Shears took a pretty strong position. Uh, don't let Huawei be part of the 5G, the net negro. Don't do a free trade deal with, with China. Um, is that the hard line that, that eventually Justin Trudeau is going to have to come around to? Well, you know, the thing is, is on the China front, Canada will get crushed between the United States and China because China and the United States are strategic to both. The thing is, is that Canadians have anxiety about China. Just think, we're worried about the Americans. It shouldn't really be a surprise that we have concerns about the Chinese. So it looks like Andrew Scheer is tapping into that. And I think the reality is, is with all the stuff that's been coming out on the security front, the prime minister is probably going to have to act on this too. We are really seeing these days the ugly face of China, a face many Canadians have never really seen up close. And I think that's made it a lot easier for Trudeau to be able to say no to Huawei now. Do you really throw a free trade deal with a superpower under the bus because of a couple detainees? I don't think you do. I mean, I know political interests and, and principle clash sometimes, but this is one case where I'm not sure you 
go that far into the future. This isn't something that's going to be signed this year. These detainees, this whole thing could be resolved in the next month or so and probably will. So let's just see what happens. That's that rush in there, although the Huawei thing's a different the, thing altogether. The Huawei piece is interesting because the Prime Minister in his year-end news conference was kind of signaling that, look, uh, the ability to use the best technology yeah. will help advance our economy and our workers and our industries in the future. So we're really weighing not just security and other things. And I think maybe a lot of people sort of they've heard so much about the security concerns that they're they haven't sort of factored that into the equation yet. But I think Don's right. I, I do think that any free trade agreement with China was actually well off into the future. And I think that there is sort of got to be a bit of a nuanced look at what China represents. That is a massive economy. Our agriculture industries, ships out there, we have so much that goes to China. Lumber, agriculture, uh, it's just such a big market for Canada that I don't think we can completely say, shut shut it down, shut the door. The trade options are closing for us because it's not a pretty picture in terms of the United States. China is one of the trade options and I think this is where not only the government but Canadians are cross-pressured. They know that it's a significant opportunity yet at the same time there are significant concerns. Let let me move to our Alberta boy on the panel, Don (laughs) Don Martin. The the Liberals come up with this plan for $1.6 billion to Alberta when there's even talk, I don't know how seriously you take it, uh, of Alberta separation. I talked to Nadine Enchi, the mayor of Calgary. He hadn't even heard about this $1.6 billion till the day it was announced. Mm-hmm. Don, does this buy some credibility for the Liberals in the West or not? They look, they, they look at this as a hand out, not a hand up, and they need a hand up. I mean, and, and the unfortunate thing for Justin Trudeau, he's stuck because the hand up is that pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and he's it's stymied by things that are beyond his control. Now, they're, they're blaming him for cutting down, killing Energy East. They're blaming him for killing the Northern Gateway. That doesn't really matter. It's all in the past. But he can't get the... Till that pipeline's built, Alberta is alienated. Separation. Peter Law, he once told me, he said it gets to 15% and never goes any higher. It's probably where it is now. But I'm not sure it's going to get to the point where Jason Kenney if he becomes premier, can suddenly right. lead a separation movement. I just don't think it's there. I don't think he'd want to. I don't think Jason Kenney wants to fuel that. I, don't, I think Jason Kenney is not going to do that. But, mm. um, you know, Don's right in the sense that that package that the Trudeau government delivered the other day aimed at diversifying markets for the most part and helping people with capital spending. I think that's not the solution that... Alberta and its politicians and its leaders want. They want to get oil to new markets. But that, uh, and that's a transport Craig, issue. Craig, does it get tougher to criticize the Liberals for not putting their shoulder to the Alberta problem? They've bought a pipeline for $4.5 billion. <clears throat> They've now put $1.6 billion on this, even though yeah. Rachel Notley said, thanks for this, it's, this, it's not the right solution uh, to the problem. A, there's a new equation in Canadian politics involving Alberta, or maybe it's an old equation going back to Pierre Trudeau. Uh, the more you attack... Trudeau, and the more you attack the federal liberals, the better your prospects to get reelected in Alberta. Uh, well, that's not the same. That's not the same as you know Alberta independence and 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 uh, no, let's let's face it. I mean, throwing what? So now we're at now we're at what seven billion, eight billion. He's yeah. throwing it, and he still hasn't expanded the pipe pipeline. They may be fifteen there's billion an, uh, in before ugly, this is done. There is an ugly unspoken truth here that if we run into a recession in 2019, this is just the first of the handouts. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had jobs, uh, job closures in Cape Breton, 700 yeah. jobs mm-hmm. lost yeah. in a call center in Cape Breton where they're asking for They've help. You know, the thing 
this is well, but the thing is, is that this is going to be a government that could be boxed in from a fiscal perspective. Agreed. It's running a deficit. Agreed. There's no fiscal room. Yeah. Now people are going to have their hands out left, right, and center if this economy goes down, and it's it's going to be tough. Okay, we're we're coming to the end of the year. I should just say this because many people have asked us. You know, you've had Justin Trudeau on, and you've had uh, Andrew Shear on. What about Jagmeet Singh? We should just tell you we asked Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, to make himself available for what we thought would be a good opportunity, a network opportunity, and he couldn't make it. Uh, Don, I, I was a little shocked, to be honest. Came on uh, my show. What's your problem? Yeah, I, I, that's what I was wondering. That's why I had to get him. Now, he's been on this show before, but what is the biggest challenge for Andrew, for Jagmeet Singh? It's got to be in February. He's got a date with Destiny in Burnaby South. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't win that by-election, I don't know. And, and he is running third, by the way, in internal polling yet. and in actually some of the regional polling. He has got to make a decision. He's got to go, or else there's going to be a revolt in his caucus. So here's my fearless prediction. Within three months, Nathan Cullen is leader of the NDP. So basically, if he doesn't win that by-election, Craig, you're nodding your head. What do you think about that? Well, we've all been predicting this for a while. I mean, the NDP wanted Nathan Cullen last time. He demurred. Uh, This time, I don't think he will. No. Uh, demur, and that would change the whole national ball game in terms of the next election. It would be high drama. This riding was never a gimme for the New Democrats. They barely That's won right. it last time. This is a tough riding. This isn't like Jean Chrétien landing in a beau séjour or <laughs> Brian Mulroney going into Elmer McKay's riding, which basically was an anointment and welcome to the House of Commons. He's on a street fight, block by block, street by yeah. street, house by house, and, and no one knows does who he, he is. Yeah. Yeah. No, but does he know that? That's the big question. I don't think he knows where the streets are. Yeah, and the Conservatives have grown their vote share in the last few elections there. And it's not, contrary to what a lot of us think, it's just a pipeline riding, pipeline issue there. It's not. Um, You read people who live in the riding and talk to people in in the riding and understand it. It's a number of issues. And Jugmeet hasn't addressed them. Is there an Andrew Scheer surge? I know that the polling is showing he's kind of, no, look, he's made a lot of criticism. Uh, He, the Conservatives believe they can beat um, Max Bernier in the Bose in the next election. Mm -hmm. Is Andrew Scheer with all the criticism on carbon, is there a sheer surge, Nick? Well, you know, the way I like to say is that it's not necessarily a sheer surge, but it's people moving away from the Liberals and Justin Trudeau. And the only place for them to go right now is Andrew Scheer. So what we're seeing is disenchantment with the Liberals. Their numbers are trending down. Justin Trudeau's are trending down. The key trend now is that in the old days, it was the progressive tribe. NDP go down, Liberals go up, and vice versa. This switching between the Liberals and the Conservatives is a killer trend for the Liberals. And they've got to watch out, and that's what's propelling the Conservatives right Shear now. Shear indicated in your interview where he's going. You can see it between the lines without too much difficulty. It's going to be all economy. And no, as he said, he used the word political correctness. Too much of that from the Liberals for the last few years. They haven't talked enough about the economy. Uh, They're trying to correct that now. Shear is going to hit them every day with the economy. He'll hit the economy. He's also going to hit immigration. He's going to hit some hot buttons as well. All right. He's uh, got to be careful. Very uh, careful. I got to leave it there. We are heading into uh, an election year with a warning from Craig Oliver. Heed that, my Ooh. friends. All right. <laughs> thanks so much to uh, Nick Nanos and the Scrum, Tonda, Craig, and Don. Merry Christmas to all Merry of you. Christmas. Have Merry a great holiday. All of you, our message is always put politics aside, especially around family dinners. Embrace your loved ones. Uh, help those who are less fortunate. And thanks so much for watching our program and being so passionate about our country. We will be back. Back here in seven days, and guess what? It is the third annual question period great political quiz. So get out your pencils for that. We will see you in seven short days. Merry Christmas.